1: This
2: is the John Fugelsang Podcast.
3: Public enemy on Sirius XM. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Flava Flav, and thank you all for joining us this evening on Channel 127. Thanks to Dean Obadala for being a great lead-in at all times and Dean's entire excellent squad of talented radio professionals. So glad to be with you for the next three hours. We'll be right here. We invite you to join us in this space we've created at 866-997-4748. I'm John Fugelsang. saying this is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right wing bubble. Chris Houseelt is our executive producer down there in South Carolina. The great Thea Harper produces our show out of Brooklyn. I'm so glad you're with us today. Is the birthday of Madeline Kahn, the great Ian McShane, and Stephanie Miller. Yes, everyone, happy birthday to Stephanie Miller. I I was on her show this morning, and I just I, I wanted just to take this time to thank Stephanie for all she did. Uh, that whole period where she was mentoring a young Diane Feinstein. We got a good one coming up tonight. Some of our favorite people will be here. Senator Gustavo Rivera who represents uh, the New York State Legislature from the Bronx, will be with us. One of our favorite guests to talk about politics. And I I hope Senator Rivera joins us and that his building wasn't washed away. Have you guys seen the videos of what happened in New York City today? I I I I was all spent all day running around the city in cars doing media appearances, and I forgot to pack two of every animal before I left. It was crazy, flooding everywhere in New York City. I hope you are safe wherever you are. We're also going to welcome our good friend Max Burns of Newsweek with the weekly wrap-up, and a lot of things happened this week. And then, you know, you guys have been saying to me, hey, man, we got to take a break from all the politics. Let's get some fun guests here that aren't all politics. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it, sure. So we're getting comics and getting entertainers, and we taped a lot of interviews this week with various movie actors and musicians, and uh, there's a lot to cover. A lot has happened this week. And can I just begin by saying, I'm old enough to remember When Republicans would petulantly, needlessly, stupidly shut down the entire government and hurt Americans because they hated Democrats. But I've lived long enough, my friends, to see Republicans petulantly, needlessly, and stupidly shut down the entire government and hurt Americans because they hate other Republicans. We've we've reached Valhalla. Do you realize the week we just survived? The week we just outlasted? I mean, the week began with Bob Menendez under indictment. The Republican Party really doesn't want him gone. I'm I'm more and more thinking, you know, however it turns out, I just love that every senator of every party should be terrified of taking bribes. And he could become the Democratic George Santos. But, uh, you know, his prosecution and Hunter Biden's prosecution is proof that the DOJ is not weaponized against Biden's opponents. Having said that, on to Clarence Thomas, shall we? Later on Monday, the Trump Organization completely dissolved which proves that Donald Trump did destroy everything he inherited from both his dad and Barack Obama. This new Trump Organization fraud was the most shocking case of Trump fraud since the last Trump org fraud last March for $1.6 million, or the Trump University fraud for $26 million, or the Trump Foundation fraud for $2 million. But real Americans know it's all just an elaborate Marxist woke leftist hoax to make Trump uh, commit more fraud. Tuesday, for the first time in American history... A sitting U.S. president walked on a picket line Wednesday for the first time in history. A former U.S. president pretended to walk on a picket line while slavishly attacking the unions and defending management. And of course, Wednesday night was the debate. It feels so long ago, but at the Reagan library, they all accused Joe Biden of helping our enemies at the library of a man who armed both Saddam Hussein and the Ayatollah. It was a great debate. Tim Scott reminding us all the best way to fight poverty is to threaten poor people with more poverty. And Ron DeSantis, who is like every possible bad side effect of Ambien, all at once. Um. Then there was Thursday. And of course, yesterday was the impeachment inquiry. And let's be fair about that. I know we made a lot of fun of it last night and played a lot of clips, but this Republican Party is doing all they can to get old Joe Biden reelected to a second term. I mean, you know... <laughs> How does Kevin McCarthy explain himself at this point? You know, I don't, I don't always launch an impeachment inquiry to distract from my incompetent government shutdown, but when I do, I do it without a House vote or any evidence of wrongdoing. I've said it before and I'll say it again, friends. If these Republicans had any policies that could help non-millionaires, they'd be talking about that. Instead, it's all just Hunter Biden and trans kids playing sports. And now today, we await a pointless, needless easily avoidable government shutdown that will hurt many people, poor people the most, and it's all caused by the Marjorie Taylor Gates wing so they can destroy their own Speaker of the House. And all for, well, all for what our friend Dan Rather has called the Craven Lure of Chaos. Diane Feinstein, the longest-serving female senator from the state of California, died today at the age of 90. She had a very... Complicated resume. A lot of things that progressives are very proud of. A lot of things progressives aren't so proud of. Um, during a farewell ceremony for General Mark Milley, President Joe Biden commented on the passing of Senator Dianne Feinstein. Give a listen.
4: I want to say a brief word about Senator Dianne Feinstein, who passed away this morning. She was a historic figure, trailblazer for women and a great friend. Diane made her mark in everything from national security to the environment, to gun safety, to protecting civil liberties. The country's going to miss her dearly, and so will Jill and I. I have more to say about her later today.
3: Now, later in the day, Nancy Pelosi spoke about... The arc of Feinstein's career and life, and it was an incredible arc when you think about it. When she first entered the Senate, she was considered one of, by far, the most liberal members. And by 30 years later, she was considered to be one of the most conservative of the centrist Democrats. And it's not even that she changed so much. It's that when you're a trailblazer, the trail will keep on blazing without you. And America is much more of a progressive country in many ways now than when she first ascended the office. Here is Nancy Pelosi.
1: Uh, She came here with Barbara Boxer. She stayed on and she left on her own terms. The first woman mayor of San Francisco coming into office under sad circumstances, but leading us with great dignity, with great effectiveness and great leadership. Much more will be said about it. We'll have so much time to talk and brag about Diane Feinstein. Her legacy will be a long one that we have all, We will all be inspired by.
3: You know, and again, I appreciate the need to say the kindest things possible about her, her many great achievements. And I'm going to give you a, a couple of critiques that are very common that people on the left are sharing. But I'm also going to say what I think was her last and bravest gift to this democracy. And it's something that's been very misunderstood, in my opinion. First, here's Senator Chuck Schumer. Earlier today, he noted some of the many firsts that Diane Feinstein experienced throughout her life in politics.
4: Whenever she did something, she was often the first to do it. She was elected as the first woman president of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, the first woman to serve as mayor of San Francisco, the first woman to serve as U.S. Senator for California, the first woman to chair both the Senate Rules and Intelligence Committees, the first woman member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Our nation will be forever thankful to Senator Feinstein for the accomplishments she fought for.
3: So let me give you my unpopular opinion, because um, I've been making sense of this all day, and I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, And hello to everyone who listens on demand on the podcast, on the app. You guys can email us. We love to hear from you. I've criticized Senator Feinstein many times over the years. She she voted for the Iraq War. She voted for the Bush tax cuts. She refused to end the filibuster to strengthen our economy. But we have to talk about all sides. And, you know, she considered the 1994 assault weapons ban one of her most significant accomplishments. Three former presidents supported that legislation. She wrote it. She fought for it against the tide of opposition. And when a Republican senator actually in the open uh, questioned what her qualifications were to lead this battle, and what, what did she know about guns anyway, the woman who found Harvey Milk's body and tried to save him lashed back, I am quite familiar with firearms. I became mayor as a product of assassination. And that ban expired in 2004. And of course, we know what's happened with mass shootings in this country since it was allowed to expire 19 years ago. And Senator Feinstein tried to revive it. After Sandy Hook, she tried to. But again, as Democrats kept moving more to the left, she stayed where she was. Unlike, uh, say, a Joe Biden who evolved more with the times, Dianne Feinstein was Dianne Feinstein. And as I said, There's a lot of progressives and liberals and leftist folks saying, you know, harsh things today. And I'm not going to pussyfoot around it. She voted for the Bush tax cuts. She voted for the Iraq war. She's pro-death penalty. Uh, She supports prison labor. She supports for-profit health care. She supports keeping marijuana illegal. She supported some of the mass surveillance. She's against the estate tax. She voted for the warrantless NSA surveillance. She opposes single-payer health care. I mean, she supported most favored nation trading status for China, despite the way they treat people. She voted to repeal Glass-Steagall back in the day. Five thirty-eight ranked her as the biggest Trump supporter in the entire California Democratic delegation. She voted with the Republican Party to raise the Social Security age. She voted for the Patriot Act. She said at one of her town halls, given time, Donald Trump can be a good president. And she voted for over 67 percent of Donald Trump's judges. I'm not going to play dumb about it. I can admire her good things, and I can call out the things she did that I wish were different. But I want to talk about the ageism, because much has been made this year of how she's hauled herself in time and time again into the Senate. Having shingles at the age of 89 kept on showing up, even though she was clearly having a lot of problems cognitively. She was having trouble with memory. She kept coming in even up till the day she died. Here's Representative Mike Thompson. He told uh, Steve Scully on POTUS at SiriusXM that Feinstein was working and voting on the floor of the Senate just yesterday.
5: Well, I, I think it's important to note that she was on the floor yesterday and voted. And during the uh, the tribute this morning, many of her colleagues talked about that and about how good she looked and how vibrant she was even yesterday. Uh, asking the important questions uh, that she's known for uh, that have led to great public policy uh, that she's been instrumental in, uh, that all Americans uh, benefit from.
3: And now, if you'll forgive me, I want to play one more clip, because it sets up the tribute I want to pay to Diane Feinstein, and it's uh, the comments made by Mitch McConnell. Okay? Because even Mitch McConnell, and much was made of this today, Mitch McConnell came out to say that he will remember Diane Feinstein as both a great senator and, and, a close family friend.
5: And as much as this institution and the American people will remember Diane's devoted public service, as I indicated earlier, Elaine and I will also remember and cherish a friendship of 30 years we were fortunate to share with Diane and Dick. So today, I know the entire Senate family is gathering around Senator Feinstein's loyal staff. Our thoughts and prayers are with Diane's daughter, Catherine, her granddaughter, Eileen, the entire Feinstein family, and with all who mourn, our dear colleague and friend.
3: Now, I don't begrudge him his tears, and I'm sure he did care about her. And it is good to see the most arch-conservative expressing sympathy and love for a person on the other side of the aisle no doubt but let me talk about why i respect the very final act of diane feinstein's life and i've talked about it before on this show confirming judges to the federal bench is pretty much the only kind of win democrats can hope for when they only have a 52 majority in the senate right if you want to approve a federal judge where does that start with the senate judiciary committee and Senator Feinstein was a longtime member. And, of course, without her, Republicans could block any judges they didn't want to ever getting out of committee to ever having a full vote in the Senate. And I want to say this. Long before Senator Feinstein got sick this year, the Judiciary Committee in the Senate cleared more federal judges and more diverse federal judges than Barack Obama or Donald Trump. Now, three out of every four people that were picked by Joe Biden and confirmed to be a judge in his first two years... Three out of every four judges were women. Nearly 66% were people of color. More black women were appointed as judges to the circuit court by Joe Biden than all previous presidents combined. And Dianne Feinstein deserves credit for that in more ways than one. First, of course, she was on the committee and voted for these judges. And then she got sick. And she offered to temporarily step down last April from the committee while she recovered from shingles back at home. But it was Mitch McConnell's Republicans who blocked it. They blocked that effort. Democrats, tiny majority, right? I mean, if she were to step down, the Republicans could filibuster putting another Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Now, think about that, because the Republicans said that's what they would do. When she offered to have someone fill her seat while she recovered, it was Mitt Romney. Oh, yes. Big, reasonable, wonderful Mitt Romney our media loves so much, who said they'd like Republicans to help them speed the appointment of more liberal justices. Yes, when hell freezes over and the Republican Party made it known that if she were to step down to heal from shingles at age 89, they would jam the Judiciary Committee so no one could replace her and no more judges could be appointed by Joe Biden. My theory is, friends, that's the reason she didn't resign. That's the reason she showed up every day in the Senate looking so ill, oftentimes looking confused, oftentimes just suffering the indignities of age under an incredible microscope. Having Democrats say horrible things about her, Republicans say horrible things about her. She kept trudging back and she was not well. Articles were written about the details she couldn't remember. Her daughter got power of attorney while she was a serving senator. But here's the deal. If she had resigned, like so many Democrats said she could, Republicans on the judiciary would not seat a replacement. Her staying there, on the job, old, infirm, with shingles, age 90, was the only way this president could get his judges to be confirmed. And I want to say something about that, because what have we seen? With the abortion pill rulings this year, we have seen that it just takes one federal judge to reshape policy and affect millions of lives for the entire country. So I'm going to give my respect to Diane Feinstein on the last day of her life. And I'm going to thank her for suffering these indignities, having people say awful things about her, clearly showing up when she wasn't feeling up to it. Because it's thanks to her that this White House was able to continue getting judges confirmed. Glenn Beck likes to say this was elder abuse. Maybe it's not. Maybe, just maybe, a 90-year-old woman can still have agency. Maybe a 90-year-old woman can still understand what's at stake for her democracy. Maybe a 90-year-old woman can put herself through an incredible amount of discomfort and embarrassment and physical challenge because she wants to be there to serve this country. Dianne Feinstein, thank you for showing us how it's done and for making your final act a true gesture of public service. Dianne Feinstein has left us at the age of 90. We're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, we'll have your calls and our good friend, the great senator from the Bronx, Gustavo Rivera, finally returns to our airwaves. It's a great night to be American. It's a great night to be an American with empathy. It's a great night to be an American with empathy. Who can spell the word you are correctly? Don't go away.
5: Freaker or wherever you get your podcast on, because, you know, I love it when you do.
3: I got to tell you, um, a lot of times we have guests on this show who are politicians and uh, we welcome them warmly, ask them respectful questions. It's always fun to get different elected officials on this show, but most of them are, are, are creeps and we can't stand them. So it's so nice to actually bring on a public servant that uh, has earned my admiration over the years um, and is also one of the most fun guests you can have on a radio show. State Senator Gustavo Rivera has represented the 33rd Senate District in the Bronx since November of 2010. That's a district in the Bronx with Kingsbridge Heights and East Tremont. He's focused his efforts on addressing issues of health inequity, both legislatively and on the ground. couple years back his passion to improve the health of new yorkers led majority leader andrea stewart cousins to appoint senator rivera as chair of the new york state senate's health committee he's also served as the ranking member of the crime victims crime and corrections committee and senator rivera has also championed and empowered latino communities across the new york state and the entire united states this guy's a real public servant it always makes my heart good to welcome back senator gustavo rivera hello my man it has been i didn't realize it's been Two friggin' years since I've been on since your show. You,
2: wow. Well, the pandemic kind of slowed
3: us all down, man.
2: Yeah, but my 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 uh, my, my team told me that the last one—I think the last time I was on was like 21 at some point. Ah,
3: I'm I'm so glad to fix that. I'm sorry it's been so long. <laughs> no, it's not a problem, dude. I've been busy. <laughs> It's great to see you, Seth. First off, are are you okay? Are you dry? I mean, I've been trying to explain to people what our city was like today. I've been in this town in hurricanes and nor'easters. I've never seen traffic affected by water like I saw today.
2: Yeah, no, there was, it was pretty bad. I did have to go out once during the day. We did have a couple of things that I that that couple of events that I was going to that got canceled during the day, but... I heard from places around my district, it was, it was pretty bad. It was not as bad as some of the stuff that I've seen coming from Brooklyn. A lot of my yeah. colleagues, we have um, in the Senate, we have a a WhatsApp that's just for senators, right? So we just kind of can communicate internally and a whole bunch of videos from one of my colleagues in Brooklyn, Incredible. Um, of, like cars floating and, uh, and, 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 all sorts of craziness out there. A few, at least three of my colleagues in the city of New York have their
3: basements flooded. So it's, uh, Me and too. A lot, yeah. The, oh, you too? My, our basement, I wouldn't call it flooded, but we ruined all of our towels, mopping up all the water that kept pouring in. Yeah. We, we yeah, had, it's, it's, we had it's like nice. a lot of puddles all over the place and it, it wrecked mm-hmm. some stuff today. It was really And nice. a lot of
2: people, and, and the one time that I did go out, cause there was a, there was a, like a coffee meeting that I was doing at a place not that far from where I live and so i was like going there under the under the raging rain and and, a, and and a couple of people were like how do we get the bus to get to this other place because we got kicked out of trains so they were shutting down trains all over the place uh, so the Fort train and the D train were both stuck at different times. So that means that
3: that's right. And
2: that was just that was just here in the Bronx. They were all over the city. So it was it was it was some real stuff, dude.
3: It was crazy. Well, I mean, fortunately, the good news was today in New York for all the New Yorkers who were struggling and didn't know how they'd, they'd manage. Um, Mayor Eric Adams authorized the uh, subway robot to tase fare jumpers during this. So uh, <laughs> yeah, was, I felt much was safer good. about that.
2: Yeah, yeah, Listen, I think I think that the shape of these robots actually makes it so they make easy flotation devices. I that's think that yeah and they, they just they, they spring forth little 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 arms so you can grab onto the arms as you grab them as flotation devices as you go down a uh, river of rat feces and and yeah. other sorts of excrement in these uh, these waters coming from the uh, that are in, in, in the subways. yeah, so it's uh, aren't we glad that we got them – you know,
3: robot-looking, whatever that. I got to tell you, I yeah. never knew how entertaining it would be to have a mayor serving on an outpatient basis. It's been it's been a thrill, <laughs> a minute for me. Um,
2: <laughs> it, know, it's uh, not
3: it's a, not so much for me. You know, I actually served with him as a senator. He, he was a yeah. senator
2: before he was a right. president. So I've I've known this dude for a long time. Yeah, how was your experience <laughs> with him, and how do you feel uh, about his
3: uh, his tenure? I'm,
2: I'm not I'm not a fan. Uh, I think that there's like uh, I remember. The one one of the I can tell you many stories about him, but I'll tell you one that kind of can me encapsulates everything that 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 I think about this mayor. Uh, it was we still in the minority. This is a long time ago when Democrats in the Senate in New York state were still in the minority. And but they were, we were close enough and we were kind of figuring out there was these runaway Democrats that caucus with Republicans. There was a whole mess there, but not a single uh, Democrat had been at that time appointed to be a chairman mm-hmm. Um from our conference right because we were on the minority and i remember that i was going to like a breakfast uh for an organization like advocacy organization or something and the night before he had been appointed by the republican majority leader as chair of the aging committee and i remember going to him the next morning and being like yo eric what are you what are you doing it's like you're 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 chairman for these people like we need to stick together if we're gonna be and he was like listen man listen uh you gotta be for yourself man that's how we. Uh, that's how we do here. You got to do you. Don't be naive. You got to do what you got to do for yourself. And it was one of those things that was kind of a punch in the face because at that time we were really. It was a really difficult time being in the minority in the in the New York State Legislature as a Democrat was a. Oof, it was a. It was a hellish time. So seeing him being in a situation where he kind of did his own thing, so that then he could do his own thing as borough president, and now doing yeah. his own thing as mayor. It wasn't it's not surprising to me some of the some of the positions that he's taken and um i'm just uh, you know I, I just i'm not a fan i'll just say that yeah but he did I, get us flotation devices
3: uh nypd he, flotation devices uh robots for uh for the uh for the floods today so there you go and you know if he's staying at the at the gracie mansion at least we know he's living in new york city so there's that too um yeah i want you to run <laughs> you know that i felt that way for a long time but let me let me ask you on a more serious note how do you feel yeah. new york state and new york city um are prepared for future climate emergencies because that was the thought going through my head all day today
2: listen i think i think there are some things that we have been doing which i think can help us get in that direction I've obviously, obviously there's the, the two big caveats is that i do think that we even with some of the some of the stuff that i'm about to mention that are legislative wins that we've been able to have and legislative progress that we've been able to have it's uh we have not done enough in the state or what we have been you know we are making some progress but unfortunately A lot of this stuff needs to happen at the at the national level. And if the federal government is not willing to put some real resources into to make some real choices at the federal level then then things are going to be things are just going to get worse and worse and worse but we have done in the state of new york there's like we have a first in the nation zero emissions requirement for new building construction in new york state right. which was not yep. which was not very popular uh, amongst uh our developer friends we enacted something called the build public renewables act which allows the the new york power authority to to generate its own renewable energy we uh um uh, we have we gave this year we gave in the budget, we had four hundred million dollars for the Environmental Protection Fund for projects that protect the environment. Uh, and and then we have these are just some of the things that we have that we've been able to do. We have a, a host of bills, uh, the Climate Change Superfund Act, which we still have to pass in the state. We passed it in the Senate. We didn't pass it in the Assembly. We have to fully fund uh, a, a bill that we passed a few years ago, which kind of transforms the way that we uh, that we have. Uh, that we that we produce energy in the state of New York. I mean, there are some things that we have been doing in the state. But unfortunately, again, unless we get our act together at the federal level, I mean,
3: unfortunately, some of these things are just going to get worse and worse and worse, and we're not going to be able to respond to them. That's right. I know. And um, that's the that's the concerning existential dread that every elected leader is either focused on or completely ignoring and i do feel like blessed to live in a state where i'm not governed by complete climate denying muppets you know like it does seem (laughs) like the better part of our legislature accepts science and isn't afraid to actually talk about how we can prevent all of this for the long-term economic good because preventing disasters is good for capitalism
2: i would say yes there are obviously there are things that we're trying to do which make which are which go against some of the biggest, you know, bigger power players, particularly, particularly landlords and development, uh, like, uh uh, 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 real estate development and landlords in the state of New York are the most powerful lobby by, by a mile, yeah. uh, because there's so much money in real estate that in the state of New York, that's where the wealthy really make their money. And so therefore, anything that we do that relates to that relates to buying affordable housing, to making, to making, uh, of buildings, uh, uh, you know, more, more efficient, et cetera. These are always resisted by those folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but we, so, but we do have that, that we have to contend with, but you are correct. There, those types of Muppets that you referred to, we have other types of Muppets, but not the Muppets that actually deny climate change.
3: Senator, I want to talk a little bit about your work in harm reduction for mm-hmm. how um, our state and city can handle the opioid crisis. Uh, I've given up all hope that the Sackler family will be dragged into the street and arrested for the criminals and pushers that they are. But you had a great statement this week where you said New York is leading the nation with expansive mm-hmm. access to naloxone, fentanyl test strips, overdose prevention training, and harm reduction tools. Uh, and yeah. you're going to thank Commissioner Vassan and the NYP, NYC Department of Health and Mental Hygiene for the commissioner's advisory and for issuing guidelines for overdose prevention centers affirming yeah. their importance and legitimacy. How is the fight going? We all have known someone at this point who has died, from synthetic heroin. We just saw the horrifying stories this week of, of fentanyl being found in a child's daycare center in Brooklyn. No, 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 fight- no, 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 That was in my, that was in my district. That was in your district. That was in my district. In my district
2: and it was one, there were two, there were three kids that, uh, that were exposed to the, the. we believe that it was fentanyl. There are some details in the investigation that are still private. So I would say that we we suspect that it was fentanyl and one child that was one year old died uh and this all happened in my district uh, the I, I will tell you just to, to back up for a second the Please. the reality is that uh overdosed overdose deaths uh is, is 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 something that has is is a public health crisis of and and, and, and and just an immense public health crisis but unfortunately the fact that we still have so many folks who have this stigma of drug use in the back of their head as a addiction as a moral failing you know Correct. when people i know when when i was growing up in the 80s you know just say no to drugs the war on drugs you know this is your brain on drugs etc cetera, etc cetera. there was this uh i what i learned right we and we taught everybody was you know that there were these these fiends these these junkies these crackheads that were people that were making choices that were bad for themselves that's right and therefore they could be judged You know as being less than the rest of us and that and policy comes directly from that it was just and and by the way in places like the bronx the district that i represent people of color and poor people of color have been dying from overdoses for generations but a few years ago thanks to those to those garbage humans that you described earlier the sacklers and other folks in pharmaceutical industry that lied about the addictive nature of opioids then the expansive uh, opioid industry put you know these these easy painkillers were spread far and wide with a with a basic misunderstanding or I should say lying about the addictive nature of it and then when you had they could no longer get prescriptions heroin was available as a substitute and so you've seen people that have been that have continued their the opioid uh, addiction and have died in the process now there is a basic misunderstanding from folks that believe that we need to criminalize to solve this problem. There's a basic mm-hmm. misunderstanding of what addiction is. And there's just a basic, they're just ignoring the fact that criminalization has not worked. That's uh, right. So in that context, knowing that criminalization does not work and knowing that addiction is not a moral failing, it is indeed a disease that must be treated like that, that is where the something called harm reduction comes in. And that modality basically first, first says, you, we're going to meet you where you are. Not everybody's ready to quit today. And that's true of people who are addicted to heroin. These are pe- the people who are, uh, uh alcoholics, etc. We have to meet people where they are. We have to give them the resources so that they can seek treatment if they want it, but do it in a non-stigmatizing fashion. So not to guilt people into, into it because that doesn't necessarily work yeah and so if you're going to meet people where they are this is where syringe exchange came from the notion that if you're going to use drugs that you inject sometimes what happened is that you would take a a needle from somebody else that somebody else had used so that means that it's more likely that you will get infections that you would get that you would get hiv and aids that you would get hepatitis c etc so you give somebody clean syringes then you actually make it so that it's less likely they'll get those infections. So that is one of the first times that harm reduction, this this, this idea the first you meet people where they are, you treat people in a non-stigmatized way, uh, and then you provide them the access to the resources that they need to get better on their own, on their own terms. That is where harm reduction is. And I'm a big believer in it, uh, and I've it become does. a big believer in it. Uh, and last thing I'll say, because I know that that was a soliloquy, but the, what it leads to is there are there is something called that we refer to as overdose prevention centers. Yes, folks have referred to them as safe consumption sites, etc. They've existed around the world for about 35 years. There's two of these sites that are in the city of New York right now operating. It's one thing I can thank De Blasio for. Say what you will about De Blasio, but he approved them before he left uh, Gracie Mansion. These two centers have been operating for about two years and over a thousand people, John have overdosed at these centers and not a single one of them has died. So people have overdoses at these centers when they're using under medical supervision. That's right. But not a single one of them has died, which means that they can get better. Because you can't recover if you're dead. So and true. that's kind of, you know, that,
3: that's kind of harm reduction. That's at the core of it. I'm humbled by how truly Christian this approach is, and uh, being truly yes. Christian, being truly Christian, it's revolutionary and shocking because most actual Christian things really are in terms of their love and kindness. But yes. you know, I'm sure that the critique you get the most is um, when you have these overdose prevention centers. Obviously, the drugs aren't handed out there; people bring their no, supply, and it's a That's it's worth. a place where people come and 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 fix. And and if they get sick, there will be help on there on hand, so mm-hmm. they won't die. I'm sure the number one pushback you get from folks who haven't really thought this through morally or economically is so what so what if they do die let them let let it reduce the population i don't think a lot of people realize how much it costs the taxpayers to have this kind of overdosing death epidemic
2: yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna do if you're gonna go to that to that route which is it's certainly you know it makes me a little
3: sick to my stomach but it's true well again I'm, folks, not gonna, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna assume they'll care out, out of empathy and humanity no, i'll no, I maybe got money maybe money will speak to these people
2: yes exactly there's actually a calculation that was made there's a cat who's not my not my cousin his name is sam rivera he's not my cousin but he might as but he's my brother uh he's the guy who runs uh these facilities they're called on point is the name of the organization that runs them and uh, I think he, the calculation that he gave me was that in a normal day, if there is an overdose that happens outside of these centers, that happens at a McDonald's bathroom or in a park or in a subway station, um, and somebody responds to it, that on average, the spending that we have between the, you know, the, the police or the ambulances that are called, the visits to the emergency room, the use of drugs like nalaxone to bring the person back, The treatment that might be necessary to keep them from dying uh, is between twenty and twenty-six thousand dollars per individual per per time that it happens. So, if you have an overdose where somebody where somebody dies, well, first of all that that might be your that might be your brother, that might be your cousin, that might be your neighbor. And and by the way, I should, as a quick parenthesis, the change in this happened a few years ago when white kids started dying. You're right. I'm just going to be real clear about.
3: Real nope. That's that's it. that's the gift of the uh, of of the respectable opioid in pill form, isn't it? That suddenly yeah, exactly. people started caring. Well, yeah, I
2: remember. I remember being in the minority still in the state senate, and then hearing some of my Republican colleagues talk about uh, talk about people who use drugs and people who who were dying from overdoses, and talking about how we needed to treat them with you you know humanely and and bring them treatment. And I realized at that moment, like, damn, this is. Th- thank you for coming to the party. I mean, you're late this has been going on for a while but you know we're, but the party's still here so let's you know let's uh, let's welcome you uh, but but anyway so with, what we have is that when somebody is having an, an overdose in public the the things that cost the costs around it 20 to 25 dollars per individual per time that it happens but just start just start multiplying what they did and i wish i had it right here i don't have it on my i mean obviously this is not a visual uh, you know, uh, medium. But since I'm seeing you, I was going to show you a little, a little, a little uh, vial of, um, of 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 one of the of one of the drugs, not naloxone, but the, but what they use to actually sometimes bring people back. And he right. keeps them. Sam keeps them, uh, and then makes little earrings off of them. So he reminds Narcan himself. You but,
3: about, no, is this Narcan you're talking about? Is this Narcan you're talking about? Yes, yes, okay. it's okay.
2: Narcan. But, but but done it. But but in a. But not in a. But not in a. Not in a. Uh, in a nasal. Uh, mist form but okay. it's in a little in a little vial that you can actually okay. just you know that they use in 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 small quantities if necessary the the fact is the majority of these of these overdoses by the way are managed with with oxygen they they watch the people when they when they start to nod off a little bit they they'd say like hey john john are you here let's put some oxygen on you and they manage them in ways that don't require medical intervention. Matter of fact, I think in the 2 years that they've been operational, they've had to call an ambulance like maybe 11 times in the entire time that they've been operational. And and this these so these places are revolutionary certainly. It's um, true. It's true. But 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 it but they're and those are the types of things that I that you know, I as I we've been we've been friends for a couple of years. You know I don't take small swings. So it's like I, I don't play small ball. This is actually something that even my Democratic colleagues might have a might have a, a resistance to with what I call the ugh factor.
3: Yeah. You know, yeah. they're like, uh,
2: but drugs
3: and ugh. I know, like, I know, and they don't want to be seen as being permissive, but it's like this corrected. is correct. Look, I got I got people I grew up loving who aren't here anymore because of heroin and precisely. And and, and this is so so this is one of the things that I'm doing, by the way, and I extend this
2: and I actually extend this as a serious thing. If you'd want to watch if you want to go with me to actually see what happens in one of these. Anytime,
3: Gustavo, anytime.
2: okay because the the, it is it is transformational. A a colleague who shall remain nameless because we have visited with a lot of colleagues who don't want press necessarily. And I said, that's fine. I just want you to see the work that they do there. They went there and we were in the room where the drug use actually occurs. And there was a young man who was about to had all the paraphernalia in front of him, ready to to use, and looks up and sees us there and asks us like, "Are you some? Are you the folks that makes this to make this possible?" And she said, "Kinda." And so they they she came towards him, and all of us and I was and I was shook. John, I was like older, more moderate person. It, it, are they going to freak out? And yeah. and instead, they turned into a mom, and they they began to have like a ten minute conversation with this kid who was just saying like you know, I'm in my mid twenties, I've had some rough things in my life, but I would not be here if it wasn't for this place. And I've been able to kind of get myself together and I'm figuring things out, et cetera. But the fact that they were able to have that human moment and, and they were able to see, my colleague was able to see somebody who was not, who was not a, a you know, somebody who's like, this monster, you know, or, or, you know, behind the corner injecting, but instead as a person that's it, and then starts thinking, cause that's what leads for us to think about policy differently. So I, I, I'm trying to get everybody who will come. I'm trying to have them visit to actually see the work that's being done. So they don't assume that it is what it is not. And it's, it's, it's transformative work. And again, that's what I, you know, I don't take yeah. small swings. So that's, no, that's what I admire. I,
3: I, I would love to come with you sometime, anytime. And, and again, anyone who's ever, loved a person who is struggling with addiction knows that you never want to give up. You Mm -hmm. never want to give up no matter how much suffering that involves of just caring and caring and caring. And, and let me, let me shift gears a bit, but before I do, let me just ask, how can our listeners learn more about OPCs and the work that's being done?
2: Um, Well, you can certainly follow me uh, on all social media platforms. I talk about it constantly at NY Senator Rivera, also, you can Google uh, On Point New York City. Uh, that is the organization that is doing uh, this work. Matter of fact, I'm going to do it right now since I'm standing right here. Yep, you can Google On Point O N P O I N T N Y C dot org, and then you can follow along because there's a whole bunch of stories that that, that they that they've put out there, so you can kind of see the the there's it's a challenging thing, but but we're really changing history with these places and and uh and anybody who who wants to to help you know start paying attention to the work that they're doing and then start talking about it in your neighborhoods since i have a bill to authorize them and regulate them across the state of new york to allow for uh, localities that want them to have these facilities great you can you can guess that is a complicated and difficult political thing to do working on it and there's other places along the country that are ready to getting to, to, to do this stuff. Pennsylvania. That's why. Vermont, I believe. Like, there's a couple of places that are
3: trying to, that are trying to put this together. So I'm, I'm very much pushing for That is why you are not a politician. You are a leader. Senator Gustavo Rivera, Thank you so much. I wanted to talk about current events in politics. Will you come back really soon? And let's talk about the former host of Celebrity Apprentice, please. As, at any time, my brother. Anytime. All right. Please, please, I can't wait to vote for you for other offices. We'll be right back. Thank you. Senator Gustavo Rivera.
7: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
3: I'm John Fiegel saying this is SiriusXM XM Progress. I want to get to your calls. Thank you, guys, for waiting on hold. Laura in LA, welcome. Hi.
1: Hi yes. Oh, I was talking about uh, Diane Feinstein. Please. And um, I've just followed along over the years and years, and I was shocked <laughs> because, like, Tell the me. San Francisco Chronicle had her um, in real time the other day, yelling at one—not yelling, you know—just bossing one of her staff members around.
7: So mm-hmm. I was
1: shocked. I thought she was going to live forever. I know her age. I know her medical problems. I was shocked. So I was just wondering if any of other of your listeners was like, wait, no, not her. She was I supposed mean, to live like at least 105.
3: I don't know. You know, she has been in such poor health lately. And again, that's why a lot of people say, oh, it's elder abuse and, and people don't care about her in her circle. But I, I I have to cling to the belief that she knew what she was doing. And that she wanted to be there and she wanted to cast votes and she wanted to come to work. You know, I just did same appearance the on Sam Stephanie Rule. Yeah, yeah, I just did this show on MSNBC and all my fellow panelists were saying, oh, there should be a maximum age for serving in the Senate. And I'm like, yes, no, yes, all I, that. But she was the
1: exception. But, <laughs> she was the exception.
6: Well, she's, so she, she was okay. really
3: sick for a She's been really sick for the last year. I don't know anyone who was but she, sh- she shocked and surprised that she yeah she, she came did. back
1: and she chugged along and like I said the San Francisco Chronicle had a video of her on their um you know I, I'm a subscriber to their uh, publication and mm-hmm. there was, she, she was just in the office last week uh, bossing people around right so that's i'm just if you, if you stayed up to date on her you would see that you would I would think you would be shocked. We're like, What? No. Yeah, this, I mean I think woman... I think there's
3: folks I think there's folks who aren't surprised by it, but it's still shocking to think that she's not going to be around anymore, you know, like she's such a fixture in our political lives. It's hard to imagine the Senate without Diane Feinstein after thirty one years of service.
1: Yeah, when I cast my vote every uh, two years, I didn't have any problem voting for her as my senator. I voted for it too.
3: I voted for it too.
1: When you lived here, yeah. Yeah, what about your floods there? They're showing that on PBS News Hour. It's
3: crazy. Floods it's
1: across Manhattan.
3: Crazy. Oh I mean Brooklyn and Queens are getting it much worse than Manhattan, but yeah, roads are closed. They closed the Holland Tunnel. My little boy had to go to a on a field trip to the science center in New Jersey and they had a really rough time getting there and then the the, the Liberty Science Center flooded and this fire alarm went off while the kids were in the planetarium and they had a rough time getting back. I went down the Midtown to do News Nation earlier today, and it took me over an hour to get there, over an hour to get back. My basement was flooded today. We destroyed oh every God. towel in this house, sopping it up. I mean, it was really—I've been here for hurricanes. I've never seen it this much of a mess.
1: And the more shocking was the yellow taxis were still driving through the feet of—you know, like three feet of water. Like, Some of them were, yeah. driving, I we got to use those cars all the time.
3: This uh, conservative woman I know, Carrie Sheffield, who was on on News Nation with me, and she was uh, leaving her hotel and coming to do the show in the studio before going to the airport. So she had a suitcase with her. So a taxi stopped thinking, oh, I can charge this lady a lot of money for an airport ride. And she said, hi, I'm just going down 10 blocks to the studio. And the taxi cab was like, no, it's not far enough and drove off. Because they knew they were going to make coin today driving tourists to airports because the weather was that bad. Yep, that's it, man. That's it. Glad you're dry there in California. You enjoy your earthquakes. We'll be drying out here.
1: We might get a chance of rain here in Los Angeles. Just a little (laughs) droplet.
3: Oh, no. I hope you're okay. I heard with the wind chill, it might go to the low 60s tonight. So bundle up, okay? We're very
1: fragile. Shush, we're very fragile.
3: Look, I was just there in your state when we had a hurricane hit while I was there. I and know, then there was an I earthquake know. during the hurricane. I'm just like...
4: No.
3: I, 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 I it attracted. on. Right on. Hey, have a great evening. All thank right. you so, so much hey. for joining us. We are at 866-997-4748. Let's go to our friend Charles in Miami. Charles, thank you so much for waiting. Welcome. You're on SiriusXM. <laughs> How you
6: doing, John? Um, Good, sir. How are I you? At, I was just remembering um, yesterday with this shutdown thing, and all of those—is it just me? But it just seemed like all of those Republicans—they um, look sort of washed up.
3: Tell me, what do you mean? I don't
6: mean? know. It seemed like uh, it seemed like we had a whole bunch of alcoholics that was taking the <laughs> stage. I'm serious. Uh,
3: yeah. It was a mess. I mean, I, they, they I didn't look, get well. I mean, dried out.
6: I mean, is yeah. that the term "dried out"? They look dried out, man.
3: Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought I thought I was ready. Please open up some wine coolers. Please give him some give him some drugs, anything. They'll, they'll, I mean, it just seemed like a, a combination of of stagnant water and dirty water. And Chris Christie dropping these jokes that he thought were so funny. He sounded like when Bill de Blasio used to drop punchlines in the Democratic debates four years ago. And it was oh. always so painful. And the crowd Bill de Blasio would have this line you knew he'd worked on all day and he would. Reveal it and the crowd would be silent and Chris that was Chris Christie the whole night. Ron DeSantis awkwardly trying to smile after he said things was painful. I mean look, let's give it to Vivek Ramaswamy. He did the impossible. He made Mike Pence look good. And and he deserves credit for that. But otherwise, we're gonna talk about this with Max Burns in a few minutes. What a what a weird, depressing, ugly event.
6: Yeah, and and, and, and Cortez, um calling up Byron Donald.
3: Yeah, and wasn't it's that like
6: he was over just smirking. I mean, like if if the Democrats, this is the time they should try to make an ad. Is this the reason why you know you guys voted for these people because they're not helping with inflation, they're not helping with crime, all the stuff they promised, and and we have a government shutdown. Yep, that they that they caused. I mean, Democrats should somebody put their head together. We should yeah. really make them pay for it. You know.
3: You know? I mean, this guy and this guy, Byron Donalds, is just I mean, like, you, you know, I got nothing against people who've been in trouble with the law and then turn their lives around. Those are my favorite people. And I'm, I'm against weed prohibition. But like this guy got arrested for weed for marijuana distribution in 97. Charges were dropped. He went into a program. So good for you. God bless. But then you're still supporting the modern drug war. And then in 2000, he pled no contest to a felony bribery. He had a scheme to defraud a bank. He got away with that. And then he lied about his criminal hearing. He's facing an ethics complaint over that. And it's like, all right, you know what? Just if this is who you're putting up as the new black Republican, great. But seriously, it's like when you do something and don't have to go to jail, but you display that you learned nothing, you just find a whole new way of selfishness and cruelty. I was Mm. glad you called him out. Mm. Now, yeah, Google his Google his record the sometimes. Way,
6: I think that's the best way to describe these Republicans. I thought it was mostly also about the money, but the selfishness, yeah. Yeah. the cruelty is is. I mean, it's all that's tied the together. motive behind everything. They they want they all have one thing in common though: the fidelity to make to, the to their greed of cash, no yeah. matter what you know. Yeah, but no. um, you know, mm, just. And and we're here on the other side on, on the sidelines saying, you know, we should help our brothers. We should help our fellow Americans. We should look out for each other. And yes. these people, they are just selfish bastards. I mean, yeah. not, no they other think that strength. Doing, they, they, they driven by the greed, you know. They think that's, that's strength. the only reason why they're in it.
3: You're right. I I I completely agree. And again. The media can't call them out for that because the media is terrified of being called biased. It's like it doesn't work that way anymore media. Like uh, jokes over. Like like stop, stop pretending that the two sides have anything in common. The front runner for president in the Republican Party is a criminal who is a fascist who is facing 91 counts in four jurisdictions and he wants to end democracy and he violates the rule of law and he's running for president to pardon his crimes. The media can stop treating this like a normal election anytime.
6: But, but if, if you don't mind me saying, it, John, the only way that we're going to reverse what the media is doing, this is a corporate media, and this is the structure. This is the way it's supposed to work. We have to break up this monopoly. we got to break up the monopoly so we can get, you know, even if there's a small little sliver of a progressive, whether it's the newspaper uh-huh. Or you know, free speech TV. I think it can actually thrive because it would be a comp- it would just be the right competition for all of these conservative giants. But we're You're never right. going to get there until we break up this monopoly. I, 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 and and that I mean, I'm working with people every day that's for my community, and for them to tell me that Biden is something wrong with Biden, and Democrats don't like black people, and all this other crazy propaganda I'm like what the f- what what is really <laughs> going on here? but it's the media it yeah. it it starts off with this media structure you know a lot of people don't like the news or you know they're not interested in it because yes, they say um you know it's it's always boring or you know, it's always bad stuff on the bad news or whatever but I'm like it's what informs you but if the structure this way where it's still going to be boring to them and it doesn't show, you know, stuff that interests them, or or explains why it's so important to them, why they're te- well, you know, You're why right. in the news. Then, how can, man? We we got to break up this monopoly. And I, I blame, and this is at the foot of every single Democrat. I don't care because yeah. you know I'm I'm not going to sit up here and act like you know I uh, 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 the people that we vote for are not um, mesmerized by all of the money that they see from the other side. Or what uh, corporate you know? It's fair. What corporations are also trying to um, entice Democrats with?
3: Yeah, totally fair, and and far too many Democrats drink from the same trough. I'll agree with you. But in terms of reform, the only people that you're actually going to find fighting for real reform are in the Democratic Party. The best choice I've seen for reform in this country consistently in my lifetime has been to vote Democrat. And then once they're in office, kick their asses every day to be better and more decent. And, Charles, you're better and more decent than me. Thank you so much for calling. I wish you a beautiful weekend. A quick break. We'll be right back with your calls and the great Max Burns here to talk all about how the government's not broken, but one of the political
7: parties is. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
3: This is SiriusXM XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. We're going to go to the great Max Burns in just a few minutes. Uh, kind of a crazy day out there. Police in Vegas announced the arrest of an individual in connection with the 1996 shooting death of Tupac Shakur which uh, was not on my 2023 bingo card. Uh, We don't know much yet. It's been a very, very long time, but this guy claims he was driving the car the bullets were fired from. So uh, more on that as we find out. Meanwhile, here in New York State, uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul and New York City Mayor Eric Adams declared states of emergency as extremely heavy rain caused major flooding and snarled transportation all over the city. How bad was it, you ask? Can Can I tell you? One month's worth of rain fell in Brooklyn in just three hours. More rain fell today at JFK Airport in Queens than on any other day in history since they've been keeping records. And 23 million people were under flood watches across New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Just crazy. Meanwhile, we're, what, 24 hours away from a shutdown of the federal government and House Republicans are back at square one after failing again to advance Kevin McCarthy's own continuing resolution. Now, uh, I'm really pleased to fight for more on this and what is going to happen with a government shutdown that's as evil as the rest of them. But again, I'm old enough to remember Republicans shutting down the government because they hated Democrats and were willing to hurt Americans. I've never seen one when they're willing to hurt Americans because they hate other Republicans. For more, let me bring in someone much smarter and more moral than me. We got our tech problems straightened out. Max Burns is a Public Relations Society of America, award-winning Democratic strategist and political columnist. His advocacy work has guided some of the most successful American companies and campaigns in achieving their messaging goals. You may have enjoyed Max in the Daily Beast, News Nation, NBC News, or right here on Progress. He's got a couple of great new op-eds. One of them for CNN that Yahoo carried is, Government isn't broken. The Republicans are Max Burns. Welcome back to SiriusXM. Hey, sir. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being had. I got to tell you, what a week. (laughs) this week was remember when our lives were simple and it was just Robert Menendez and hey Biden's going to speak to unions I mean it's gotten crazier and crazier since Donald Trump's corporation was dissolved on Monday that seems like a month ago and I got to be honest a part of me really thought the Marjorie Taylor Gates wing of the party of Lincoln was going to end their pantomime and allow our government to function I thought they could find other ways to hate Kevin McCarthy but the hatred has blinded them to what they were sent to Congress to do Where are we at right now? It looks really likely that we are going to have to shut down this government again in a couple of hours tomorrow night and for no reason at all.
0: Yeah, it certainly seems like it's headed towards a shutdown, which would make it now the sixth Republican led shutdown in modern history. So I guess the Republicans have proven if there's one thing they're good at when in power, it's making sure nothing actually works. But but as of today, there was a vote. Kevin McCarthy tried to put up a continuing resolution, basically right. a short term effort to fund the government for a couple months. And that was repudiated by his own party. Twenty plus Republicans voted against it and not only voted against it, but made sure in their speeches to really stomp on Kevin McCarthy's throat and remind him that this is what happens when you break your deal with the Freedom Caucus. So the question I have for Donald Trump for anybody trying to work with the GOP is who do you actually call? Like who commands a working majority in the party? And the answer seems to be nobody.
3: It seems to be Donald Trump. I mean, is this shutdown not happening because he has commanded his winged monkeys of the night to make it happen?
0: Yeah, 100 percent. And this is not something that's that's hidden or you have to read into. Donald Trump has posted on his social network throughout the week about the virtues of shutting down the government instead of doing a, a continuing resolution. And Matt Gates has clearly been in contact with Donald Trump throughout. He's been giving updates on the right wing news networks of what Donald Trump wants us to do. So if Kevin McCarthy is the Speaker of the House, he's got a funny way of showing it, because right now he may be the least influential member of Congress sitting down.
3: Yeah. I mean, we talked about it last night. This has been an historically unproductive Congress. It's really embarrassing. Uh, one of the worst Congresses ever in terms of actually just getting any kind of legislation onto a president's desk and signed. I know it's quaint to hope that can still happen. But I mean, I, I, I have to confess, Max, I pay a lot of attention to this. I'm reading it all day long. I I don't understand what McCarthy's doing anymore. It's like he wants to obey Trump, but doesn't want to obey Trump. He could have cut a deal with Democrats to somehow keep the government going. but he, And those same Democrats would have agreed to keep him in the Speaker's job when Matt Gaetz tries to fire him next week. But it looks like... The government's going to shut down. They're going to somehow find the money to continue investigating Hunter Biden. And as soon as it starts up again, this speaker is going to be deposed by his own side. Am I getting this right? Because I'm not sure I make I I understand what I'm saying.
0: You're absolutely right. I mean, the reason you can't see a strategy right now is that there is no strategy. You're watching Kevin McCarthy, a guy who's not great at political strategy in his best moments, actively sort of flailing for his political life. And he realizes, I think, too late that his inaction in trying to go across the aisle is what really is going to cost him, because now he's going to get the shutdown. He's going to get nailed next year in these elections. Senate uh, Minority Leader McConnell has said as much that Republicans will be wiped out for this. And on, in addition to that, he's proven too weak to command votes. So Matt Gates and the far right have literally no reason to keep him around the only think i think keeping kevin mccarthy in his seat is who else in their right mind would want to lead this party
3: i mean this is the deal mccarthy made during that endless do you remember when yeah. our hearts were young and gay last january max when we had to sit through 15 <laughs> it was 15 votes wasn't it the the non-stop humiliation back then i said kevin mccarthy's like one of these SM slave dudes who forgets his safe word on purpose i think just to keep getting pummeled and humiliated He's been incredibly ineffective, despised by his own caucus, and seemingly without any kind of ingenuity, the guy spent his entire life trying to get to Speaker of the House, and he seems to have amassed zero political skills along the way. I mean, I I keep saying Pelosi. Pelosi's 139 years old, and she was able to keep the far-left squad and the right-wing Democrats who oppose abortion rights from Texas all unified.
0: And that's something that I don't think we talk about enough in the press. I mean, this is something I made a point to talk about because it's important. Kevin McCarthy says the reason he can't keep the government open is because he just has a five seat margin in the House that he's just got a majority that's too small to work. But Nancy Pelosi had literally the same margin during her last term as Speaker. And she kept the government open and passed a huge array of historic legislation for Joe Biden. Yep, I mean, this is a woman who never called a vote she lost. Ever.
3: Nancy Pelosi was able to somehow save the Affordable Care Act while she was in the minority in 2017.
0: It is, it does stand out. the, The leadership and the institutional knowledge there and the gaps. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, it is incredible that in her tenure, She never called a single procedural vote that failed. And we've seen Kevin McCarthy lose five of them in as many days. And that comes with a negative effect. I mean, when you start to look ineffective, there's a reason Donald Trump is calling Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and not the Speaker of the House, because Donald Trump wants someone who can actually move votes. And it's certainly not Kevin McCarthy.
3: All this after McCarthy went down to Florida and groveled before Donald Trump and posed a picture like Mitt Romney at dinner. And all along, it was all just part of an ongoing humiliation. Now, now, Max, how are they trying to pin this on the Democrats? Because I know McCarthy's trying to do that. A couple of months ago, he was praising the deal he made with Biden to avert a government shutdown. He's now reneging on it. And he's trying to make it out like it was Democrats that caused this.
0: Yeah. And this is the exact Republican playbook that we've seen time and again. They're blaming Democrats on their unwillingness to compromise, which always means compromising to the right, that they want the Pentagon to end wokeness. However, you do that. And they want Ukraine money cut that not even their own colleagues agree with. And Republicans in the Senate made that clear this week when they passed a bill, including all that money that will certainly die in the House but it's it's this same blame game of trying to shift this on to the democratic party when you control the house you made the deals that you made and democrats have offered to work on something comprehensive and bipartisan they have not heard back from a single one of these so-called moderate republicans so it shows you just how hollow the game really is god
3: i just can't believe like a handful of cretins are going to make millions of Americans hurt because they hate their own leader so much. I mean, I just, I just, I'm, I don't know. I grew up with Newt Gingrich. I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around this. And Kevin McCarthy lied to everyone earlier today on Twitter. He said, I don't have a journalism degree, but why does the media expect the Republican House to just follow the Democrat Senate's lead on government funding? House has passed 74% of funding through regular order. No omnibus. Senate has done nothing including a stopgap bill. He literally had a correction added to his tweet by Twitter. I saw. Reminding us that in the Constitution, (laughs) the Senate may not originate general appropriations bills. I mean, he's so desperate,
0: he's literally lying to everyone and uh, getting pantsed by bots. I mean, the remarkable thing is Kevin McCarthy is known to sort of review his social media stuff before it goes out. So this passed through him and he didn't even realize that he's going afoul of the origination clause. I mean, it does sort of reinforce this image that Kevin McCarthy's trying to change right now, that that he doesn't quite know what he's doing. He certainly doesn't seem to have the respect of his caucus. And even if he did, he doesn't seem to understand the rules by which the House operates that someone like Nancy Pelosi or even John Boehner understood pretty well. You're so I mean, right. you think about John Boehner and the Tea Party. Chainer managed to put them back in line for leadership votes and they fell in line with yep. Nancy Pelosi and the progressive squad. They were going to oppose her renomination. They ended up meeting and working it out and coming to an agreement that everybody benefited from AOC endorsed Pelosi. You don't see any of that with Kevin McCarthy. Instead, he's in caucus meetings swearing at his members, telling them they're not worth the money to campaign That's right. against, That's right. as he said to Matt Gates. I mean, these are the people he's then going to ask to take tough votes for him. It's incredible. When he's already conceding, he doesn't have the ability to protect them, even if he tried.
3: He doesn't even have the votes in his own party to authorize an impeachment inquiry. He had to break his own promise and just do it because he knew his own party wouldn't support it. And they didn't bother to bring any evidence. I mean, my God, this man is pathetic. He makes he makes John Boehner look like Genghis Khan. Um, I want to bring in some (laughs) listeners, Matt, to talk about some issues. But I'd I'd like to ask your thoughts on the passing of uh, Senator Feinstein today. I opened the show by, you know, addressing her age and all the demands that she resolves. And saying maybe she stayed there because she's on the Senate Judiciary Committee and the Republicans made it clear while she was alive that if she resigned or took a leave of absence for shingles, that they would not allow a replacement to be seated. I actually feel like for all of her infirmity, she had the agency and she made the choice to keep coming into work while she was dying with dementia and shingles because she wanted to get more Joe Biden Judges approved. I mean, now that she's gone today, the Republicans finally said, oh, well, uh, we'll allow a replacement. But Mitch McConnell, who is weeping about being such a good friend to her, his obstinacy is the reason she had to keep on coming into work.
0: Yeah. And this is the narrative you won't hear on on mainstream corporate media is no as really. much as we and, and we've talked about Dianne Feinstein's age quite a bit. And and I've written about my concerns with aging senators in general, who are suffering health problems that are being covered up. But Mm -hmm. at the core of this is this didn't have to be the case. Dianne Feinstein was willing to step down. Republicans were not willing to allow her to be replaced. They kept on in, in breaking the Senate, knowing what they were doing was keeping someone who was not able to fulfill the duties as she once was. And knowing that that hurt good government, knowing that hurt the functioning of the Senate, And not caring, because it meant denying Joe Biden a few wins. And that's where the blame should lie. I mean, that is indefensibly cynical.
3: You're right. I've been pointing out, I did it on TV today, Joe Biden approved more black women as judges to the circuit court than every other president combined. And Dianne Feinstein deserves some credit for making that happen.
0: She absolutely does. And it, it is a broken system where someone in, in that position who was aware that she's not well and was very candid, I think, in her explanations when she came back to to realize that she can't leave that job because it will only make the Senate more dysfunctional is a terrible thing to do to a person, to someone Mitch McConnell called his friend. I mean, that yeah. it, it just shows you that at the end of the day, it's all about the short-sighted control of power for Republicans. They don't care how it hurts the country or the representation of Californians or anyone's representation. It's about numbers to them, and it always will be.
3: Let me bring in some of our evil army of the night. Max, if you don't mind, I'll have to take some calls. Yeah. Uh, Let's go to uh, Sean in California. Sean, welcome. You're on SiriusXM with the great Max Burns.
4: Hey, brother and Max. I've spoken to Max before. Um, Wonderful. I I almost, you know, I, I, I... can I add on to that? Um, Please. Yes, I'll try. You know, Feinstein is an icon here in the Bay Area. She will always be an icon in the Bay Area, especially in San Francisco and for our country. There's no doubt. I voted for her a number of times. And sometimes you got to understand. So I heard your criticisms of her, by the way, John, Um Uh, you know, earlier. And And my my praise, too.
3: And my praise, too.
4: No, no, no. But what I'm saying is your criticisms she would take perfectly because, look, there are legitimate concerns. That's what she did from day one. She's okay taking all those criticisms. And she did it for so many years. 31, I guess. 31 years. Yeah. Yeah she did that and that's what she would embrace she she would never come out and say oh i can't believe someone would say something you know i supported the iraq war or i or i did this or did that you know because it's an imperfect job number Mm -hmm. one but we voted for her a bunch of times because she was solid And, and i can only speak for myself but of course. Because, I voted yeah, for her as
3: well, Google. my friend. I voted for her as well.
4: Yeah. And so there's nothing wrong with criticisms. That That's where people get all bent out of shape. And we're in a bad place right now. It's okay to criticize our politicians. It's all right, because everyone's going to say, where does my tax dollars go? Where do they go, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and what I would say is unions, baby, Because unions right now deserve more money. And I'm talking almost all. I I can't put every union in the same bucket, but I'm talking, uh, you know, what about our teachers? Yeah. Because we're talking about the automakers. Yes. But
0: what about uh, our
4: teachers?
3: I'm with you. Let me turn it over to uh, to Max for his response.
0: No, I absolutely agree. I mean, we're in a renaissance of labor organizing right now. It was something Feinstein supported in, in her life and work. It's something we're seeing actually win results now. I mean, we finally have a president who has done more for unions and organized labor than any president literally since Franklin D. Roosevelt. I mean, his work on the National Labor Relations Board alone is going to push unions forward by decades after years of decline. But they need our help. I mean, they need support. They need solidarity and they need a Democratic Party to show up for them.
3: Yeah, boom. Sean, thank you so much for the call. I really thank appreciate you. hearing from you. Love you thank God. you, man. What a pleasure. Let me go to William, who is calling us from Las Vegas. William, welcome. You're on SiriusXM. Tell me everything about uh, Kevin McCarthy.
4: Hey, John. Uh, just want to say, you know, you, you say how uh, he sounds ignorant of how government is supposed to work. But I think he knows damn well
5: that uh, spending bills always start in the House. But yeah. he relies on the willfully ignorant MAGA uh, base, right. who love to be lied to, Max, so that he's right. they can pass the buck and blame someone else, even when they know how government works.
3: Boom. Well, I don't know if the, I don't know if all the MAGA base knows it, to be honest. But you're right, Kevin McCarthy does know it, and he's counting as Donald Trump does. On ignorance of people and again counting on the ignorance of people who get all their news only from right wing sources. Don't forget these right wing politicians have a built in mode of bullshit because they are they are operating in a media bubble where there's no critical thinking donald trump can come out and say that he spoke to these unions and he spoke to the striking workers because the reason they're striking is they don't like electric cars and everything i just said is a lie but fox news will not correct him when he says it on their airwaves max i think he makes a great point
0: no that's absolutely true the only challenge is the maga people hate kevin mccarthy i mean kevin mccarthy's playing for these corporate lobbyist groups who are going to push this out and use it in the elite press and they're the ones in this moment who actually have a lot of power, except that they're not being told how to use it very well. I mean, they're being asked to push out lies instead of try to push Republican voters to support their speaker's bills. It, it's it just it's a nightmare of terrible leadership. I mean, it is bizarre when Donald Trump is the most coherent position on this issue. You know, you're in trouble.
3: Oh, <laughs> yeah.
4: All right, thanks, John.
3: God bless, William. Thank you for calling in. Let me get a. Let's get another call. Uh, let me go to uh, uh, Rich in Indiana. Rich, thanks for waiting on hold.
5: Very certainly. Thank you. Very certainly. Thank you very much. Thank you. I wanted to uh, bring uh, to the fore the idea that Senator Feinstein was chair of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence from 2009 to 2015, and at the end of 2012, she. And her uh, committee authored the Senate Intelligence Committee report on CIA torture. It was published that's right. 2012. That's right. And um, the thing that's really important about that document is that it ended up in 2017 during Trump being, uh, as the redacted document, yes. um, classified and black bagged and disappeared. But also that the the
3: the CIA objected to her releasing it as well. Very
5: certainly. And CIA was into her computers while she was putting the thing together on two separate occasions and burgled them. They stole data off the machines that the select committee was using to compile the document. Okay, so here's the deal. As this thing is sitting in limbo somewhere, we now understand what a president is permitted to do in terms of the de- declassification of documents. I think, easy peasy, it would be really cool for our president to declassify this classified, redacted thing and God. bring it back as Senator Feinstein's um, document to... Uh, have the memory of fact in a physical form again, because just uh, last week uh, there's a, a Gitmo detainee named Ramsey Ben Al Sheva, who is uh, so deteriorated by the CIA's torture program that the judge has agreed to the request of counsel that he can't um, withstand trial.
3: That's and right. So That's right. After nineteen, after nineteen years, of, after nineteen years of being tortured in Gitmo, he's he's unfit to stand trial because his brains are completely fried. You're right.
5: And he was he was in black sites before he got to Gitmo, and this is the CIA torture program. And we've no, got to right. have her. We've got to have her black and white document, even if a third of it is redacted. We've got to claw it back from from Gina Haspel who yeah. waterboarded uh KSM
3: i think like 80 times he has the record it's, I true. Mean, it's, it's let me it's ask i want to ask max about this wrong and wrong Max I think that right. maybe the worst the worst thing Donald Trump ever did was make people forget about how bad George Bush and Dick Cheney were right and maybe there's not there's Dude. not an appetite to like reopen the old torture debate again but I say so what I think it's so dangerous how George exactly. W Bush has gotten more and more normalized over the past couple of years and how Dick Cheney has used Donald you know. Trump to make himself look yeah. more re- reasonable <laughs> and pro-democratic <laughs> Well, what do you, what do you well, think, Max Burns? What do you think, Max?
0: No, I mean, you're right. I mean, I think there is still a thirst to talk about what we did during the war on terror and torture. It's just that the people who have the thirst to talk about it are mostly people in CIA black sites who can't talk to a reporter. I mean, <laughs> I've opposed this sort of excessive classification regime, Democrat or Republican. We've seen classification and national security defenses grow and grow and grow to specifically Keep things out of the courts that the government cannot defend. And I mean, I think that we need to rethink classification laws entirely and have something akin to a truth and reconciliation council about what we did under the Bush years. It's that bad. I
3: completely agree. You know, Max, I'd be most remiss. And thank you, by the way, Rich, for the call. I'd be most remiss if I didn't talk about the emotional and historical highlight of the week. Um, And that's Joe Biden showing up, the first ever sitting president. On a picket line it's i mean never happened uh the images were moving i think it's going to be something that'll be remembered for the next year how do you feel the week went um and how and you have a new piece in the hill called joe biden proves democrats can deliver for labor
0: yeah i loved it i mean this is exactly what joe biden wanted to do he said he was going to do it his some of his more conservative advisors tried to say it might look polarizing joe biden said screw it i don't care it's the right thing to do And the important thing to me is is that this, of course, symbolizes his support for labor. But what Joe Biden has done goes so far beyond walking a picket line. I mean, I wish they would talk more about these things, like with the NLRB appointing Jennifer Abruzzo as general counsel has changed that organization forever. I mean, they've now said that some college athletes can unionize. They put forward a huge decision against CMEX construction which appears to say that if a company like Amazon harasses and rigs a union election, as Amazon has done three times in Bessemer, That's right. uh, that That's the right. NLRB can man, can unilaterally instate a union on that place and require them to begin collective bargaining. I don't think people understand how big and transformational a decision that is and how much power that gives back to unions. Yeah,
3: you're right. I guess I should also ask you about the low point of the week, which would be uh, what I call henchman con, the Republican presidential debate uh, at the Reagan presidential library, (laughs) which was fitting because it showed that amnesia can be contagious. Um, It it went I mean, I was live, so we didn't get to watch it live. I saw the clips. It was so much worse than I thought it would be, Max.
0: It really was. And it's almost not a partisan criticism it's just that it wasn't a debate i mean people started screaming over each other immediately and just kept that up throughout the entire night the moderators completely vanished and what we learned from this is that the worst impulses of the gop are clearly leading the way i mean i thought it was ironic they're doing this at the reagan library and all it showcases is that this republican party is certainly not the party of ronald reagan i mean this is a party where a former U.N. ambassador, someone who knows better, advocated invading not just Mexico, an American ally, but China with U.S. special forces, I mean, essentially guaranteeing a world war. It is insane that not a single moderator pointed and said, what, how are you going to how is that possible? Because I think they were just as gobsmacked as everyone watching was.
3: So what's giving you hope, Mr. Burns?
0: I'm still carrying a lot of optimism from seeing Biden on the picket line and seeing the energy that came out for that. I mean, not just union workers, but lots of people coming out in solidarity with workers who are from families where they've never had a union member in their family. And we're seeing now youth organizing and labor is already responding to this and realizing that they have the White House in their corner. So I think we're going to see an autumn that is full of labor organizing and and has that decision at their back from the NLRB to actually protect them.
3: Nice. Max, what's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work?
0: You can follow me on Twitter at TheMaxBurns, or you can read me on The Hill or at Substack at maxburns.substack.com.
3: What a great pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Burns. This is Progress After Dark.